покажи. Listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. This is your host Joseph Lapp, and I'm here with Michael Semanchik of the California Innocence Project. If you've been listening to the Working Poet Radio Show, you might be wondering where we've been. Um, I'm happy to announce that we're back uh, at a smaller capacity, and we're focused on, as always, the working lives of creative people. But I'm really just trying to tell good stories and have great guest on and I'm really excited to have Michael here today um, and we'll be back in Miami in April we'll be doing a live event down there we're gonna have some great uh, artists and poets and even some musicians on the show and we'll be recording that but today we're gonna talk about a couple things we're gonna talk about Brian Williams we might talk about some Jeb Bush and we're gonna talk about innocence and how a lawyer can be creative in finding ways to free people from jail who shouldn't be there in the first place. So, Michael, how you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm. I've been quite busy, but that's uh, that's kind of all the time. So, yeah, I guess that's nothing new. So, you know, with the California Innocence Project, you know, what is your main goal? We're trying to get people out of prison that are uh, innocent and. Uh, we get about 1,500 requests a year for assistance. 1,500? Yeah. How many of bullshit? Uh, most of them. I would say most of them are bullshit. I'd say at least half, well, probably half of them we close uh-huh. right off the bat. It's people that are writing to us asking for uh, ways to sue a prison guard or like, you know, they're getting beat uh-huh. up in jail. Or uh, A lot of them are actually writing to us. They're not in custody. We don't take cases where people are out of custody and they're off parole. I mean, there's some rare chance that we'll take a case when someone is on parole, but it's it's got to be it's got to be a really rare circumstance. What's so. the most bizarre letter you've ever received? We got a letter about a week and a half ago. It's probably a three, four page letter mm-hmm. that an inmate for who knows why, nobody knows why, but uh, was asking for uh, assistance with like a civil a civil rights claim, 1983 claim, a uh, federal civil rights claim. Uh, and and for some reason he signed his initials really really big on the page in blood. Oh man! Yeah, and so I had a uh, we had an an intern or a, a, an intern um, walk the letter in, and she I, the first thing I noticed was she was wearing gloves, and I'm like, well, why in the hell is she wearing gloves? Yeah. I mean, we get weird stuff from the prison all the time. You know, you get funny drawings, and uh-huh. they always uh, you know from from the men you always get um, drawings of like beautiful women drawn in pencil mm-hmm. and like what they imagine a, an attorney or an intern might look like in our office is a common thing that they they do but i've never seen until a week and a half ago i've never seen something come in with uh blood scribbled on it so how did you know it was blood though it could be ketchup right well it could be ketchup oh no it, it couldn't have been ketchup it Why? was it was definitely blood i mean because i you know, I've seen enough crime scene photos. I've seen enough. Uh, I've seen it enough. I know what blood, dried blood looks like. It's not so red. It's more brown. Yeah. And this was like that, you know, it was that dried brown sort of color that, you know, it was just not right. And so. So how did the intern react? Uh, what She asked me, what, what do we do with this? <laughs> and I said, well, you, you have to scan it. But I don't want to put it through the scanner, uh, you know, because yeah. we scan everything that comes in. Because, you know, for instance, if somebody writes for assist, asking for assistance in 2008 and said I did it and I acted in self-defense, and then in 2015 they write to us again and say I didn't do it, I wasn't there, I had nothing to do with it. Well, at least we scanned it. We know from 2008 
you know, all so of the communications. So it's a matter of record, record keeping. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, sure. do we want to put this through our $700 scanner mm-hmm. or do we not want to put it through the scanner because that's gross? Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of scanning it, I had her take pictures with her cell phone. Smart. So, so I mean, the thing is, is that here at WPRS, you know, we're always trying to tell, you know, we're trying to talk to creatives. And to me, I, I definitely think you're a creative, but... You know, for someone out there who might say, oh, you're a lawyer, you know, how how the hell are you a creative? What would you say to them? Well, the the work of uh, the, the work in the innocence world is is uh, quite different from your normal uh, lawyer job. Um, on a daily basis, we're trying to figure out what's the most what's how do we get people out of prison? And uh, sometimes uh, that that involves some pretty crazy things. Um, in California, the new evidence standard as it, as it is today is a really tough thing to meet. It basically, you have to prove, you have to debunk the entire prosecution's case with your new evidence, with whatever new evidence that you might come up with, and it also has to point unerringly to innocence. It has to be, it can only point to innocence and that's it. So what does that mean to someone that knows nothing about this? Mm-hmm. It means if, uh, let's say, client gets convicted, there's a whole lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests that he had uh, some sort of extramarital affair with a woman, they got in a fight, all of a sudden the one woman ends up dead. That's a lot of circumstantial evidence that might be used to convict. Maybe there's some, some evidence that, that might tie him to the crime, but there's some innocent explanations. He ends up getting convicted. Here we are today. Mm-hmm. Let's say we find a piece of evidence at the scene, we DNA test it, and it comes back a third-party suspect, somebody that we think that might have had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. In California... We haven't undermined the entire prosecution's case because there's still all that weird stuff that happened with the defendant, right? There's that circumstantial evidence of the extramarital affair. So you have to uh, prove the circumstantial evidence is... is garbage. And that piece of evidence that we get at the scene that comes back third-party suspect, there can't be an innocent explanation for it. So give me an example of a case that you had where this uh, new evidence became such a big deal for you. So we've had well, we've had a bunch of those cases. Um, one of probably the one of the ones that we've had the longest it would be the uh, William Richards case. Case mm-hmm. we had we picked up in '99 when our when our office opened. '99, you you were there in '99. I was not there. I oh, didn't get I there till 2008. I didn't get there till 2000. Still I was in like, high school. How old are you, Mike? Yeah, I was still in high school. <laughs> so you're uh, a lawyer in high school. <laughs> yeah, I was you're the there. Doogie Howser of the uh, California Innocence Project. Now you're starting to sound like Steve Edwards from. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, no. So in '99, our, we we when our office first opened up, uh, Bill Richards writes to us and says, "Hey, I didn't I didn't kill my wife. Mm-hmm. You guys should look into this." Uh, and it, you know, it was an interesting case uh, out in San Bernardino. It's kind of middle of nowhere. They lived in a little tiny little, little trailer. Um, and what happened was, Bill came home from work, and the they had a generator that they ran for electricity, and the generator wasn't running, which is strange because usually Pamela would fill fill it up with gas, and it would be running, and the lights would be on, and it was dark. Mm-hmm. So he shows up to the house, and he's like, "What the heck's going on?" So. He's uh he's walking back onto the property and it's it's completely pitch black. He ends up stumbling over Pamela's body, and he gets the, he en- ends up getting the lights on. Realizes that she's she's dead. She's uh, a, you know a brick has been used to smash her head, and, oh, and it was pretty pretty gruesome. 
because it's San Bernardino and because of the circumstances in 99 and everything. Wait, hold on. For the people who don't know about San Bernardino, paint them a picture. Pretty rural. You know, so, you know, I think a lot of people probably have this idea that California has developed, you know, from coast, from north to south and from west coast all the way to the border of the, the eastern states. And that's not the case in uh, Riverside or San Bernardino or, you know, any of the counties, anything basically not near the coast. If you're 30 miles or more, in, you know, east of the coast, then it might not be developed. And so she's living in a trailer what's what's this what's this desert 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 scenario you know they're out in the middle of nowhere um there's not people for probably i you know i don't have the the exact mileage but i would guess eight to ten miles okay between between their place and the next place it's at least a couple miles between their place and the next place so it's just them it's just them, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. Were they happy before this incident? So they were married, and um, they had had, you know, subtle disputes and, and, and had their thing. But it was a normal marriage. Is- normal marriage, you know. No, I mean, nothing crazy, nothing mm-hmm. like – it wasn't abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and- were they in love? Yeah. They were in love. I, I would say they were in love. You know, Bill, so basically what happens is the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department isn't able to respond with a homicide unit until morning. So the crime scene just basically sits Wait, there all Wait, Why? Night. Well, it's, you know, it's middle of nowhere. It's middle of the night. He, I think he showed up back at home at 7 or 9 o'clock at night. You know, if I had the facts in front of me, I could tell you. But he shows up in the evening after work, and uh, then they aren't able to get to the homicide unit out there until a lot later. So basically the next morning when it's light out again, they didn't have the, the capability of getting out there and setting up the crime scene. Uh, um, so what happens in the night? Well, the body's not secure, so anything could have happened. They end up questioning Bill. He's obviously disheveled. He hasn't slept all night. His wife's dead. He's stumbled upon her her brutally beaten and murdered body. So so basically, he ends up getting convicted of this. He gets convicted of killing his wife. Because there's no other explanation. Right. There's not. They're living in the middle of nowhere. There and could be a drifter. You could be creative as a as the uh, as the other attorney. Right. right. But I mean, you know, when you look at when you look at murder cases. Prime suspect number one is significant other. 95 or 97% of murder cases are done by people that know you. You know, if you're going to get killed, it's going to be by someone that knows you. you know, it's scary to think about. Yeah, it is. They're gonna, somebody yeah. that knows you. Think about that. Who's, yeah. who's it going to be? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but so, so he gets convicted. He gets convicted. And he, so he stumbles over his wife's body. Right. There's nobody else around. He's the only suspect. In the process of thinking about this, and you're reading about this, and you're, you're trying to think about innocence, is your bullshit detector going off, or what? Always. I mean, always. You know, I heard an interesting thing the other day. There's an innocence project in the country that, that starts cases like this. They, they start with the presumption of innocence. So the idea is you look at a case, automatically just start presuming that that person is innocent. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get them out? We don't, we don't do that. We, we start just looking at it fair and say, mm-hmm. is it possible he's innocent? Is, he, is it possible she's guilty? Like, which way could it go? Kind of like, just look at it. Don't, don't presume anything. Just kind of look at it with blank slate and, and try to figure out what you can. So, so in this particular situation, then, new evidence must come in, right? You would think so, yeah. So, and so continue with your story. So one of the things, so it took, a, just so everyone is kind of on board, it took a couple trials to get convicted, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, you know, when you see that some it takes a few trials, it means that the prosecution wasn't able to convince a jury of, of 12 of your peers mm-hmm. that you did it. Mm-hmm. 
So that's a red flag. That means that if you're not able to convince jurors, jurors are pretty easily convinced these days. Really? Uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is not high as high as I think it should be. Huh. Uh, I think jurors view it as as uh, a lower standard than than what maybe the the uh, the legal system intended from the beginning. But you know, so when you see that though, you see a mistrial, the jury's deadlocked. Um, that to me is a red flag. I think the third trial, Bill finally gets convicted. The difference between trials one, two, and three is that in the third trial, they introduce bite mark evidence. And bite mark evidence. Vampires. Bite mark Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, we could go with that. Yeah, I mean, we could go with that. All For right, this all case, right. that I'm goes sorry. With that. Okay, continue. Sorry. So. Uh, I think everyone's hoping that there's going to be vampires in this story. But he has a he you know he has a funny tooth a, a unique <laughs> d- dentition. Wait the the husband the husband does. Oh. He has a unique dentition. Okay. According to this expert, All and right. so the expert testifies, it's a unique dentition. It must have been left by Bill. Therefore, Bill must have done the crime. He bit his wife in some sort of a struggle or a, an argument that ended up in a struggle. He left a bite mark on her body. So the expert is saying this based on the bite mark. Ex- okay. Expert testifies to that at trial. Okay. Okay, so that's that's what we have. That's that's it. You know, just from an Innocence Project standpoint, what are you looking for? Well, is there anything we can test? Mm-hmm. DNA test. Is there any science that was presented that might today be considered junk science? Mm-hmm. Is there any evidence in there that may be false? Mm-hmm. Because false evidence, the standard is easier than new evidence. If the bite mark was not actually a bite mark, Mm -hmm. would we be able to undo the conviction? Maybe. Because that would be false evidence. Okay. You know, if we're able to come up with some DNA under the victim's fingernails, then maybe we can meet the new evidence standard. So that's kind of the, the thought process we're going through. So we eventually do DNA testing. On this particular case? In this case. Okay. Uh, the paving stone that was used to smash her head mm-hmm. came back. Well, hold on. Back up. Why does it take 12 years to do this DNA testing? Well, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting because when, in 99, when this whole thing happens. There was no. Yeah, it was either 99 or 97, actually. I think the crime happened in 97. He applied for assistance in 99. Okay. So in 97, the it took about the size of a quarter of biological material in order to do DNA testing and get a full profile. A quarter. A quarter. The size of a quarter. So when we're talking about this actual material, well, what are we talking about here? What, what would qualify... As material, spot of blood, the spot size of, of blood. So you need some, a spot of blood the size of a quarter. Yeah, or like saliva. Saliva. Or, you know, what, skin. You need you needed quite a bit of DNA okay. in order to get a, a full profile. This is in '97. Yeah, '97. Okay. So today you need a microscopic amount. Really? Yeah. And so now the way and and it really it all started to change in in like the early 2000s it started to change where you would you would only need a microscopic amount uh-huh. in order to get a full profile and and and, and in, in fact they've actually gotten better in 2007 they got even better they got uh-huh. touch dna so let's so give you some specifics what is what would qual what would what would work for a specific, uh, microscopic amount would it be a hair what would it be well yeah you could get hair you could get uh, you could do dna testing on hairs but you know what a great example from this case fingernail scrapings uh-huh. and one of the luck Lucky, lucky for all of us at, at the Innocence Project and, and everybody is that uh, going back 20, 30 years, uh, coroners have been doing fingernail scrapings during autopsy. 
So what that means is they're scraping the DNA material, the genetic material that might be under there, mm -hmm. and they're saving it. They're using toothpicks and scraping it off and throwing the toothpick in a, in a, in a place to save it, mm -hmm. and, and we have that. So that's great, you know? So now we can go ahead and pull those toothpicks, do a little DNA test, and see whose genetic material might be under the fingernails. So this happened in this particular case? This happened case. in this case. Okay. And... So, so we DNA test on the fingernails, we DNA test on the paving stone that's used to kill her, and we get an unknown male profile. Unknown male profile means? Not the husband. Not the husband. Not anybody else that we've ever come up with. We thought for a little while maybe the Texas Railroad killer, but not him, excluded. Okay. Um, we've thought long and hard about other suspects, and, and really we've just not been able to come up with anything. And, and the problem with not coming up with a suspect in California is the new evidence standard. We can't point unerringly to innocence. There's innocent explanations for how that male DNA might have gone under the fingernails. Maybe she went to the store that day, patted someone on the back and scratched their back real quick, or, you know, maybe she shook hands with her friend, or maybe she had, you know, I mean, there's, so a, there's million, a lot of variables. In right. This. There's, there's all of these innocent explanations that can't be accounted for if you don't have the right, the real suspect. You know, if you have new evidence and you don't have a suspect, it's, it's very hard to win in California. Mm -hmm. The best case scenario is you have something that, that would meet the false evidence uh, definition, and then you can go through the false evidence standard. And so in Bill's case, what did we have? Well, the bite mark we talked about earlier. So in 97, when this case happened, this new thing called, well, relatively new thing called forensic odontology, i.e. a whole bunch of dentists get together mm. and they look at bruising patterns on victims. They try to figure out who left that bite mark mm -hmm. by using a 3D mold of the suspect's teeth. And so it's kind of this new cutting edge thing. And mm -hmm. a guy named Skip Sperber ends up testifying at the trial that that's what it was. He had a 3D mold of Bill's teeth. Wow. And he had the 2D image of the bruising on Pamela's body. You know, he gave some statistics. He said that it's unequivocally Bill Richards that left the bite mark, that there's no other person that could have left it. This is the, So he said that it was the husband. It, he said it was 100% the husband. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It was a match. They called it a match. So fast forward to modern times beer <laughs> uh modern times and and skip sperber ends up recanting his testimony it turns out that skip was only given a single photograph from the scene to make a call he had a polaroid from the scene of the bite mark and when he was presented with additional photos and different angles of what this alleged bite mark was he not only concluded that uh that bill was excluded but he thought that it wasn't a bite mark at all. In fact, it was probably left by animals. That, as we talked about earlier, the crime scene was not secure at night, and dogs are believed to have tried to attempt to bury the body in the middle of the night. What? Yeah. So wait, this is the conclusion? Yeah. That the, after... But it, what, how, how? Whoa, whoa, whoa! But that's on. not actually the full conclusion. Okay, we're not done yet. Oh, oh. So okay. All so right. we file. So wait, hold on, hold on. Let's back up here. Skip comes in, recants his testimony. Right. And the the working theory or the story that's being told in court. Which one is it? That it's dogs. So that story, the buried by dogs story, was told in court in two thousand and. 
Gosh, I can't remember when we we'll were. We'll give in. you the leeway on the 2000, but it's okay. told years later. It's told years later in the San, Bern- San Bernardino Superior Court by Skip Sperber, who comes back and testifies ah, that he was okay. wrong. Okay, so Skip comes back and testifies that not only was he wrong, but his expertise says that it was dogs trying to bury the body. That's a theory. So of dogs his. have guilt over committing a murder? No. So dogs left the bite. Somebody else still did the murder, but Bill didn't leave the bite. Okay, so so the, the way, bite. Okay. The only difference between it, remember the only difference between trial two and trial three was this bite mark evidence that came in, and now what Skip is saying is that bite mark evidence that came in in, in trial three was not good. Mm. So in other words, we're left with just trial whatever happened in trial one and two, which resulted in a mistrial. Like I told you from the beginning, red flag, not good. Mm. Back in the Superior Court, Skip testifies. Conviction gets reversed by the by the district by the Superior Court in California in San Bernardino. So the the district attorney appeals. Mm-hmm. The case goes to the Court of Appeal. Mm. The Court of Appeal reverses the reversal. So now Bill's conviction is back to good. So it's back on. His conviction's on again. Mm-hmm. And so we take that. Ah, so he, okay, so Skip is still kind of saving himself. It's clear that his initial testimony is wrong, but he's still saying there was a murder. So he's... Yeah, I mean, Skip's, no, no one's ever said that it's not a murder. It's definitely a murder. Whoever did this did it with a paving stone, and unfortunately... So the dog theory is that someone was bitten, but they were... They she were was still, bit when she was, a, when she was already expired. Oh. So remember, the, the crime scene wasn't secured at night. Okay. And so this body is just out there all night. Okay, so I think that's important to note. So right. the body is sitting there right. after the murder already takes place. Right. And the bite mark comes from a potential dog, and that gets associated with the Bill. husband. Bill. But later we find out it's not from Bill. Holy talk about being creative. Right. Holy crap. Yeah. So so right. that's so then we take it to the California Supreme Court. So we went to the Superior Court, got it reversed, uh-huh. went to the Court of Appeal, they reversed the reversal. So we get to the California Supreme Court. Well he's yeah, he's all right. He's an interesting fellow, I gotta all tell right. you. His testimony in the first place was only opinion. So opinion of an expert can never truly be false. Because an expert opinion is just that. It's only their opinion. So in a 4-3 decision, the California Supreme Court says the bite mark was not, the testimony about the bite market evidence was not false evidence. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we were stuck with the new evidence standard. In other words, we had to uh, completely undermine the prosecution's case. And point unerringly to innocence. Like I said before, even if you have foreign male profile at the uh, at the scene on the st- on the paving stone that was used under her fingernails, it could have gotten there in an innocent way. Mm-hmm. We didn't meet new evidence, so Bill loses. So how do you free this guy? What we did was uh, we went and changed the false evidence statute to say that when you have an expert that recants their testimony, that says that their opinion was in fact false, that is considered false evidence. And if there's a reasonable probability of a different result, or if it's material at trial, if it was material, um, in other words, it made it, there's a reasonable probability that the jury, had it not seen that, made a different call, mm-hmm. then the conviction must be reversed. Okay. Now, as of January 1st, 2015, Mm-hmm. Last month, 
That new bill took effect. We filed a habeas petition in the California Supreme Court. Which is for those who don't know. Basically, the the vehicles or the document you use to try and overturn a conviction. Okay. We file in the California Supreme Court, and we're currently going through a briefing. But the, the main point of, of the argument or the argument he, is... Wait, hold on. He's still in jail. He's still in prison, yeah. All right. So the main point is what? The main point of, of, of the argument, that what we're arguing is that Skip Sperber's testimony at trial was false. It's bullshit. And if you remember, it took two trials where they... Where they didn't come to a conclusion, and then you add in this bite mark evidence, and they did come to a conclusion. Clearly, what pushed them over the edge was this bite mark evidence. So, the guy sitting in jail right now, mm-hmm. for how many years has he been in jail? Since uh, 97. So, what's that, 18? 18 years? 18 years. He just trips over the body? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's San Bernardino, so it's not like there's light pollution from L.A. Uh-huh. You know, you're... You're quite a distance from L.A. You're quite a distance from any major metropolitan area, and um, it's pitch black. Your generator's not running, and there's no lights. Uh, and he comes back onto the property, and, you know, she's outside uh, murdered. So so we're going to leave it right there, and we're going to come back on the next time you come up with this case, and we're going to revisit this. So for all those who are interested to see what happens to... Bill Richards... Tune back in. And to read more about his case, go to CaliforniaInnocenceProject.org. You should be going to CaliforniaInnocenceProject.org for many reasons. That's one of them. Also to be reading blogs by Michael Samanchi because we're going to come back after a quick beer break to talk briefly about a recent blog post that he wrote. And we're going to do some true and false. Uh, So stay tuned. Great shot, shout out to uh, Books and Booze, which is a great podcast that's coming to an end. They basically interview writers and they talk about the, what they're drinking. I'm not sure we're going to do this every time, but Mikey, Michael is a big beer fan. He knows much more about beer than I do. And, you know, we kind of want people to have fun. We want you know, just talk about uh, things that interest us. And so right now, we're going to open a beer. Here, ready? Mikey, what are we drinking? We are drinking Modern Times Blazing World. It's made right here in San Diego. And it is a, what they call, a hoppy dank amber. It's got an amber color to it. It has like a nice caramel finish. It does have a caramel finish. Nice I, caramel I wouldn't finish. have thought about that word until you said it. It's got a nice caramel finish. It's a 6.8% ABV. which oh, yeah. uh, It will fuck you up. It'll get you It'll get you nice and buzzed. Here's the... Uh, do you understand this stuff for the, the 11.85 and 1.008? Yeah, the thing, the thing that probably means most to anybody out there it's 85 IBUs so in other words is that like an IOU yeah basically <laughs> we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna go with it's got uh, three different kinds of hops and two row Munich midnight wheat malts and you know what that means I don't know what those last malts are I can tell you what Nelson Simcoe and Mosaic hops are because I am a huge IPA fan so 
Uh, I'm a huge Simcoe Mosaic uh, uh, fan. Those hops are great. What does Final Gravity mean? I, I, I actually don't know. That just sounds like uh, that sounds like I'm about to have a hallucinogenic experience. Yeah, I don't know what Final Gravity. That's something I'm gonna have to Google. Either, that might be a video. That might be the next video game. Final Gravity. Final Gravity. Yeah. So this is a good beer. Uh, good beer. I, Mikey knows a lot more about beer than I do, but I'll tell you what I love about this beer. I love the design. Mm. It's got this really sweet logo. It, the the typeface is just really beautiful and you know kind of vintage but class. I, I, it's just a beautiful and I love the three stripes here. And it's produced in cans. Where we we I don't we probably didn't mention it's in cans. Yeah, that's true. And it's in sixteen ounce cans, I think. Right. So I was talking to a guy at Whole Foods the other day who is like. Uh, maybe a year ago, first introduced me to this beer in Los Angeles. And he said the reason that people put it in cans is to protect it from the sunlight. Yeah. That that's better. I had no idea that that was the type of shit that people were doing. That's why they put beer in um, in dark bottles, too. Same reason why, like, Bud Light comes in, like, the brown bottle. Yeah. You know, when Corona comes in that, that like, clear bottle. But that bottle, even gets, but even the brown bottle gets light. Well, yeah, it does. It does. The light the light hurts it. But the, the Corona actually gets hurt quicker. Because huh. it doesn't have that color, that protection. That so what do you protection. think the advantages of the can compared to the brown bottle? Well, you know, I, I never really thought of it until recently, but my friend, uh, a, friend a friend of mine, a neighbor of mine, uh, was shipping beer to one of his buddies across the country. Uh-huh. And I realized, like, well, shipping in cans is obviously so much better than shipping uh-huh. in glass because you're less likely to... to True. You know, you're, if this like hits the ground and gets a dent, it's not going to crack open. If you smash a bottle, then it's it kind of it's going to ruin the whole package. So, huh. you know, I like the idea of cans because you can ship it to your friends mm-hmm. and it's no big deal. I'll tell you what, I think this is my favorite beer in the country. Wow. Modern times. Wow. Uh, what's yours? <sighs> this is a hard spot. question for Put you. Put me on the spot. Well, don't oh. you do something that's like, what's the shit that you do? You track every beer that you drink? So if you guys, if if there's people out there that are not on Untapped, then they should get on it because Untapped is uh, is an app for your phone. It's on uh, the Apple phones. It's on Android. Uh, you can track everything you've ever drank, and you can and you can uh, and you can rate it and put comments and check in where you've actually had it. So uh, so you can remember where to get it when you want to go back and get it again. We actually have a special guest here. Robert Lee, who is a beer maker? Well, how would you define yourself? Home brewer. Home brewer. What are you brewing right now? Uh, Simcoe Pale, a lager, a Saison, and a red IPA fermenting right now. Fermenting? Fermenting. What, so we're talking about Modern Times beer right now. We're taking a break. We just did this whole thing on... Uh, Innocence Project, and we're talking about beer, talking about modern times, blazing world. What do you think? Great beer. Great beer. They don't always lump it under the parallel IPA category, which is where it should be, because it is a uh, a very hoppy, but at the same time, got a lot of amber and a lot of other flavors to go along with it. But a uh, very tasty beverage. What's your favorite beer? Uh, Pliny the Elder from Russian River. You can only find it on tap in select locations. Uh-huh. And some grocery stores slash uh, little like liquor stores will hide it in the back because it is so popular for beer. No shit. But uh, if you ever go to a good beer slash grocery store in uh, Southern California, ask for Pliny the Elder, and I'm sure they have some in the back. 
straight from the brewer's mouth. What is yeah, what is 1.008 final gravity? So there is the original gravity and the final gravity. The original gravity is what you measure prior to adding yeast. And um, it pretty much measures the amount of, or the density of the liquid. And then the final gravity measures the density of the liquid again, but when you introduce yeast to the situation, so the yeast eats the sugar, and so you have a change in sugar levels there. So you have the final gravity, or so the original gravity and the final gravity, and um, based off of that, you can understand the percentage of alcohol we beer. I thought it was like a, like a trip thing. Like. Joe actually thought it was a video game. Uh, yeah, it should be yeah, a video game. <laughs> so we had a special guest here too. We got two beautiful dogs, Layla and Chloe. And you know, you might hear them in the background, but you know, that just makes a better podcast, you know? <laughs> That's right. So what we're going to do now is we talk a little bit about beer. We're going to go into the true or false section, and we're actually going to have you a part of this, okay? Great. So... Robert Lee is a co-founder of Circa Interactive, www.circainteractivesco.com. Gio, I got a true-false for you. True-false, do you have a beer for me right now? I'll give you mine. We can split it. So I only that's have a, a semi-true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so true or false, Modern Times is the best beer in the world. We'll just start with the transition. I'd say false. I, 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 do, like, I do like Modern Times quite a bit. I have had, uh, you know, I, I'd still put them in my top 10%, uh, especially Blazing World. I'd put it in my top 10%. Um, oh, you miss it. We already know what Roberts is. Oh, okay. What is it, how, what's the name of it again? Pliny? Russian River. Pliny the Elder. Oh, he goes with the standard op. Would you say that's true? Uh, I like Pliny the Elder. I wouldn't say it would. I, I'd definitely put it in my top 10%. I'd probably put it in my top 5%. Um, I would probably go with... Oh, gosh. Are we talking beer or brewery? If we're talking brewery, I'd, I I really... Oh, gosh. That's, this is such a tough... Let's tough, go brewery. I really like brewery. Stone. I like everything that Stone's done, really? doing. I love... We're going with the Coke of... Uh, you know, Ooh. Yeah, you're going Not with really. Coke Not of, really. What, how, what was the term? What's the term I'm looking if for? If I was going with the Coke of the soft drinks, I'd be going with Budweiser. Coke. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. The Coke of Coke of microbrewing. Microbrewing. Oh, of microbrewing. Well, that's I like... Exactly. Yeah, but you know what? There's, there's Stone. Stone makes great decisions. They make great beer. They, they produce... They don't stop trying different things. They do collaborations. Wow. Uh, and they're not afraid to collaborate with... Uh, with anybody really and um, you know they've tried barrel barrel aging and uh, and they've, they've done great expansion so brewery wise I, I really like stone if, if you want to get even more micro than than stone because stone is at this point is really not it's it's to the it's grown so much it's probably not even a microbrew anymore I mean they distribute for every microbrew in San Diego yeah there's a set level in the United States what is considered a microbrewery compared to a full scale brewery and I think San Adams still falls in the microbrewery area but um, I mean Stones obviously produces fantastic beer but has the money and the um, ability to produce lots of different types of beers and to put money into you know ta- uh, creating some very tasty beverages uh, true or false we're gonna move on all right true or false we're gonna get we're gonna get weird here we're gonna go from beer to something else i'm it. just gonna it's just gonna riff you 
True or false, Jeb Bush <laughs> will be the president of the United States. False. False? Ever. Really? False. No, 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 no. Oh, ever. <laughs> no, he'll be, I figured he meant he 2016. Be, yeah, he will be the president of the United States. That's a tough one. True or false? I think he Hillary will be, is, I yeah. don't know, I don't know, man. I, I don't. I don't actually think Jeb's going to be the Republican candidate. So you that's don't, you don't even no. think he'll be the candidate. No, I think really? Jeb will will draw more of the uh, middle ground, the swing vote. Yeah, what's independence? Independence. Independent vote. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think I think Jeb will because uh, he seems a little bit more uh, level headed than. Uh, his pro- brother. The problem is you've got the Bush problem. Well, know? yeah. The Bush name. You do. And I, I don't see this country... Eight years of Obama hasn't been enough for people to forget the Bush name. And I, I don't think that... Uh, and and just, just so our listeners are aware, I'm a registered Republican and I would... You I, are? I, and I'm pretty... Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you didn't know that? Really? Yeah. Albert's a registered uh, Wait, okay. Democrat. Wait, okay, for, for so everyone who's listening, we just talked about the Innocence Project. Yeah, that's right. How many people has Jeb Bush put to death? Oh, probably a lot. I, I, you know, there's... there's I'm, I'm a registered Republican, but I call myself a Libertarian, but... That's besides the point. I think I think really what what's it, um, you know, like, I, when it comes to like social justice and, and and criminal justice, I think we're all just getting it wrong. I, I think it's both sides of the aisle. I don't I don't think it's one sided. I think it, you know, for the longest time we've done this thing where we've thought uh, basically, basically, and, I, and I'm going to give credit to Justin for this, but the Willie Horton thing, uh, where if you if you're going, you know, you're if you're going to try and win an election. The easiest way to do it is to be tough on crime. And so for the last 20 years, everyone's been tough on crime. And, 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 and I really think that the, the solution is to be smart on crime, uh, both from a fiscally conservative point of view and from, uh, you know, sort of a, a social justice sort of uh, view as well. So, so yeah, that's, that's I, yes, I am a registered Republican, uh, but I find myself... Uh, quite libertarian if you will but so when you start talking about democrat republican the war on drugs is something that is always brought up about the right. uh failure in the you know the just criminal justice system in the united states but that isn't really relevant to a lot of the people that you're representing right correct no because like you know most of the people that we represent are in on on, on murders and and rapes the, the vast majority of them are murders and, and three strikes cases and occasionally a sex offense, uh, but the the vast majority of, of our clients are murderers, um, and and it it doesn't really have much to do in way of of, of uh, the drug war. Uh, but I, but I'm not I, you know I'm not saying that that we were successful. At what point do you win the drug war? Right. You know it's like okay, well in in Afghanistan you can say you win when the Taliban's defeated. In Iraq, you can say, well, you, you win when you topple Saddam Hussein and you take out his regime. Well, when do you win the drug war? Right. True or false? Brian Williams lied about saying that he was in the helicopter that was hit by, what was it, was it a missile or RPG? Or was it? As well, as a combo of the two. It was an RPG and AK, AK-47 fire. True or false? What do you think, bro? I don't know much about it, but 
the thing with Brian Williams is you all, you know his voice and you know what he represents and um, he's like the uh, at least in my opinion the go to uh, source for high quality news and it is unfortunate that these things are coming out that he might have lied or you know you get like the psychological elements of whether he actually realized he was lying about what he said uh, I think it's just an unfortunate situation. Um, but it is what it is. But what if he in, if he went into it knowing that he was just trying to bolster his career? How would you react? To that? It really brings down his credibility, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I mean, I think they need to replace him. Unfortunately, if it so, comes out that he straight up lied about it, then yeah, they need to replace him. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Did he lie? It's an interesting thing. What our memory, what our memory can do to us. Right. Um, and so I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call it a lie as much as I would call it, at, at least from, from my reading of it, I would call it that it's he's just got a faulty memory. You know, there's there's often times where, um, well, m- m- well, most people think that our memory works as, as it, uh, like a video camera. So we take in uh, images, and as they're, as they're kind of unfolding in front of us, we think in the future, five, even ten minutes later, we can replay what just happened we can hit the rewind button, hit play again. Now, as I'm sitting in this room with you two, and you're you're drinking this beer, there's a lot of things happening. Like your foot is moving, and like my brain can't account for every single movement that's going on. We only can pick up certain uh, select things, and we can only account for those and and memorialize those things. And that's because our brain is very limited. And when it comes to Brian Williams, you know, could he pick up everything at, at actually at the 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 point of when his helicopter was getting uh, was in route and the helicopter in front of him was actually shot at? Probably not. So he's probably missing some things but the the real problem is when you try to remember what happened and and I and I think that that is really what we're dealing with is that Brian Williams is confusing his memory of what happened with what other people have said happened or their other accounts and he's filling in his gaps his memory gaps with other people's accounts of the situation which then ends up putting him in a helicopter that was shot at, which is not true. True or false, according to the New York Times on Brian Williams' story, which you sent me, this article after your blog post, which we'll get into. Not only can our real memories become unwittingly altered and embellished, but entirely new false memories can be incorporated into our blank, a memory bank embedded so deeply that we become convinced that they are real and actually happened. So true or false? Absolutely true. I yeah, mean, how I many times is it? How many times does it happen where somebody's told you a story and three years later you repeat it as your own? <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> you ever had a girlfriend? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and then she calls you out on it. She's yeah, like, like, "I told you that." And you're like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, you did." I can't believe you did. And then you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot. But yeah, no, absolutely, that happens. I think, and I think it's kind of unfair for, you know, I guess we hold the, the you know, we hold him in a, in a higher regard given his situation, his position, and everything else. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's still a human. And, right. and we, and this happens. This happens to everyday Americans. This happens to people all over the world. We all know we, our memory is not perfect. And so... All right, true or false, Robert, are you sad that this has happened to Brian Williams? Do you feel – so you feel empathy from true or false? 
Uh, yeah, I'm definitely sad that it's happened to him, and I do feel empathy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sad that it's happened because, like I mentioned, he is... I don't know. He's an authoritative figure mm-hmm. when it comes to news for me, and 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 because of this, that is um, kind of taken away. But yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine how hard it is to do his job. Mm. True or false? Brian Williams, in his memory, relates directly to your work with the Innocence Project. One hundred percent true. Uh, and how does it relate? I'll tell you. It's 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 actually fairly simple. Um, Often witnesses are testifying about things that they remember from crime scenes. Uh, often they're testifying about remembering a particular uh, perpetrator that committed a crime. Um, they maybe at some point uh, in an investigation will make an identification of the perpetrator and they'll describe features and they'll describe how it unfolded and everything else. And so, uh, when you see something like this, uh, Brian Williams, uh, misremembering as he called it in his, his last Wednesday newscast, uh, am I surprised to see that? No, because in my work, we see it all the time. Um, witnesses will, will originally describe that maybe, maybe they make an original description of a five, Five foot six, uh, 140 pound suspect with light hair and light colored eyes, medium build that fled from the scene. And maybe they go down to the station, they do a couple of interviews, they're presented with a whole bunch of photo lineups. By the time they get to trial, maybe they're describing on the stand a five foot 10, 175 pound person with dark hair and light eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they say, oh no, I'm 100% sure. And, and what, what's happened there? What's happened? Well, we actually wouldn't know of this issue if it weren't for DNA testing. Uh, We know about it now. Um, The scary thing is that when somebody goes in and testifies to this type of thing, they go in and say, I'm 100% sure that the person sitting at the table right there is guilty. The, the, The problem with that is that has been happening for hundreds of years. And we only now know that the reliability of eyewitness identifications is so low that it's as if we shouldn't even allow them in court. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that we should just disallow them, but the caution should be so strong to the jury uh, that eyewitness IDs are so weak that, you know, that we at least take it with a grain of salt when uh, somebody gets up on the stand and says they're unequivocally 100% positive that's the guy. True or false? As long as there are prisons and jails in the United States and in the world, we will never be free. Robert, you want to tackle that first? <laughs> that's a toughie. It's tough, right? I think, I think that's false. I think it's false. All right. Sure. Well, I mean, it depends on what you consider free. Yeah. If you consider free to be you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, then um, yes, obviously prisons and jails take away from your freedom. But I think if you think of free and like a logical, um, this is how society views you as being a good citizen type of mindset, then I don't think it takes away from your freedom because you will hopefully not be jailed or incarcerated if you do not do something wrong. Right. It all, it builds, what you just said just builds the moral aspect into it. You know, the fact that we have choices to make and society recognizes that there are things that we as, uh, as humans should not do. And, you know, if you violate that code, that human code, 
then that freedom or the the absolute freedom that you're afforded, uh, at least in 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 the majority of countries around the world, that that should be taken from you because you've shown to the to society that you're not able to operate under the rules that we have delineated. And, and so, so yeah, I mean, it is that I, I don't, you know, nothing's absolute in this world. Nobody's an absolute Republican. Nobody's an absolute Democrat. Right. Uh, you know, it's all, everything's always a sliding scale. But think about making choices in life. And the fact is that we know that the jail, that prison is there. How does that affect the choices we make? Can you make that choice without the prison system. As long as you're thinking about jail and prison, in my mind, I'm thinking about being in prison. I'm thinking about being in jail based on my decision. So am I free mentally? So you're thinking about the consequences of your actions to a certain degree, right? Yeah, I think if you base it off of society's norms, then yeah, you can still be free um, unless you obviously commit a crime that goes against what we would consider to be moral and just in our society. I think about the minority report. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, if you even think about committing a crime, mm. we got your ass, you know? Mm. It's like, wow, imagine that situation where you can't even consider, uh, you know, I mean, today, you know, you have to take a substantial step or you have to you have, you basically have to do something in order to be to show that you're in a conspiracy to commit a crime. Right. Uh, you have to take a substantial step or, you know, some act of planning, basically, in order to show that you're a participant in a, in a conspiracy in in the minority report. It doesn't even require that. It's like, oh, I just thought about it. So I'm thinking about killing my wife today. And they know you're going to kill your wife later that day. Boom. Done. You're done. So, you know, in terms of, like, if you're just thinking about prison and it keeps you in check, I think I think 99% of the population thinking about prison and jail is all they need. I, I, they don't even need to think about jail. They just think about, you know, while it's probably less than nine, it's probably 97% of the population thinks about right and wrong. Right. And 97% of the population gets it right, but there's 3% that doesn't. So what do you do with that 3%? Is the answer jail and prison? It's a really powerful question, and we're going to leave it there. I think it brings into a larger part of being creative and, you know, being an individual and being free with your mindset. Um, This is WPRS uh, from the Circuit Interactive Office. Uh, Robert Lee, Michael Symanchik, we'll be back in maybe a month, maybe sooner, who knows. Thank you for listening.